Please stand as you are able for the reading today. It's from the New Testament lesson from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning to those of you who decided to stay in Nashville and celebrate second winter with us this weekend. We've been deceived by spring once, and now we, uh, we get to celebrate second winter. Uh, my two-year-old, who is you know, still learning the state she was born into, woke up yesterday morning, ran into her closet, and excitedly picked out a spring dress to put on, to which I had to break the news to her that there was a half a foot of snow outside. She, uh, she's still getting used to this whole Tennessee thing. But it's such a pleasure to be with each of you this morning. Dr. Kamalo, it's so good to be with you and to have you here visiting with us. Um, it's a blessing to get to fill into the pulpit while Dr. Chapel is away on a Holy Land trip. I know that he appreciates your prayers as they continue to travel, and I know also that he is praying for each of us this morning. Today, as we enter into our second week in a series called Walk This Way, in which we will journey together towards the cross and resurrection as we examine what it looks like to walk, to act, to live like the man that we read about in the Gospels. And so over the next several weeks, we will look at passages that help us reflect on not just the path that led Jesus to the cross, but also the path that leads us towards salvation through Christ, who is our example by which we live. I can't help but to think this morning about one of my favorite t-shirts when I was a teenager. If I've learned anything in 16 years of student ministry, it's that people will show up for free food and a free t-shirt. As a teenager, I gave little thought to the words, come follow me, printed across the front of a t-shirt that I was given one night at youth group. I liked the color, it fit well, and I figured the lime green words across the front meant something, but I had little idea how much they would come to mean in my life. Jesus extends the invitation early on in the Gospels to men fishing by the sea. Come and follow me, he says. Come and learn to live and to act and to know what I know. Come and be my apprentice. Come and be my disciples, he says. Friends, it was the call to those fishermen then, and it's the call to us today to come and to follow, to learn to walk the way Christ has led before us. And so in this Lent season, 
we consider passages that teach us what it means to follow in the path that led Christ to the cross and leads us towards the celebration of resurrection. So we find ourselves this morning in the Gospel of Luke. We catch up with Jesus here in the 13th chapter as he reflects over Jerusalem. Jerusalem can be considered Jesus' spiritual home. We all, I hope, have those places. Places we can't claim to be completely from. They're not completely our home. We weren't born there. However, a part of our spirituality, our faith, was born in that very spot. For me, I think of places like Lakeshore United Methodist Camp in the sunroom, the chapel at Lambeth University, the waters of Lake Burton in Georgia, the choir loft in this very sanctuary, the spaces in which we have come in contact with the living God and our faith is born anew. For John Wesley, we call this Aldersgate Street, in which his heart was strangely warmed while listening to Luther's preface to the book of Romans, the spot in which spiritual significance outweighs birthright. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he can recall spending an extra few days in Jerusalem after attending with his parents for Passover and, of course, being left. He impressed everyone as he taught and showed glimpses of who he would become. Even in Luke 2, shortly after Jesus' birth, people began to speak about Jesus to everyone, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Last week, we looked at Luke 4, in which Jesus was taken to the highest point in Jerusalem and tempted. And in Luke 9, Jesus' transfiguration, Jerusalem is referred to. And in that same chapter, Jesus names that his time is coming to an end and determines that it is time to head towards Jerusalem. And by Luke 13, our passage this morning, it is clear that Jesus is on his final journey towards his spiritual home, and he has some words for them. So this morning, we look at these words to determine how his walk calls and influences our walk now. When looking at this passage, there are several movements that are important for us to take a look at. To set the stage, we must immediately note the irony that the people warning Jesus, the Pharisees, are the same people that have also been calling out his ministry. The same people in which Jesus calls out just two chapters before our current passage. Regardless of their rocky relationship, the Pharisees provide a warning that Jesus sits squarely in the crosshairs of the king. A warning that very likely shows that Jesus was perhaps not disliked by maybe all of the Pharisees. Sure, they had had their disagreements, but also they had had their moments of hospitality, perhaps. As Christopher Henry puts it, perhaps just like the disciples, the Pharisees fail to understand the full purpose of God and the necessity of Jesus' death. Regardless, Jesus finds himself the recipient of a very credible threat. Jesus, in response to the fact that a ruler of the quarter of the empire is after him, he called him a fox. Now, I don't think that in this moment Jesus is resorting to name-calling. He is not empowering each of us to walk around calling each other our least favorite animal when we get frustrated or feel threatened, although maybe that would be fun in moments. 
Please, if at all possible, wait to the end of the service to tell me what animal you think I most resemble. Jesus is not necessarily hurling, hurling an insult as much as he is describing the character and action of a man in relation to the mission, the goal at hand. In the Middle East in the time, foxes roam the land causing destruction and desolation wherever, desolation wherever they went. The fox was near the top of the list of animals seen as unclean in the Jewish culture, feeding on rodents and other small animals. Jesus takes only a brief moment to explain to all those that are listening that this ruler is not worth his time. With one brief statement, he paints the picture of a man that leads to destruction, one who leads to collapse rather than a firm foundation. I think there is something to be learned by the fact that our example in Christ felt empowered to call a fox a fox. I'm not talking about the feeling or the need to call someone names or hurl insults, but rather the empowerment to know and name with certainty when someone or something is more about their own gain and glory than the mission set before us. The importance to name the distraction and the way that leads to destruction so that we can see it for what it really is. We see this unfolding in our world right now. The power of one man is creating destruction and devastation in Ukraine. And our hearts break for our brothers and sisters walking through that which is in direct opposition of the kingdom of God. Jesus calls Herod a fox, but what comes afterwards is even more important. He names the mission. Herod is a fox because Jesus is of the business of healing and restoration and redemption. And Herod not only stands in the way of that, he actively resists it. Jesus names the mission. He knows his work. Go tell that fox that I've got no time for him now. Today and tomorrow, I'm busy clearing out the demons and healing the sick. The third day, I'm wrapping things up. Jesus knows the mission and he states it clearly. He is about the restoration of creation and he will not be distracted by those who are about the destruction of that which God called good and those who will ultimately not stand against a much greater kingdom unfolding. There is something to be learned by the fact that our Savior can speak clearly the work that has been laid before him. Jesus knows his mission. He even has a to-do list for the next several days. He's clearing out demons, and he's healing sick. I wonder what your mission focus is in this season, what our mission focus is. What is on each of our lists as we journey together towards living like Jesus? We have our mission here at BUMC. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And for me and for you, that means that each interaction that we have, each decision that I make should be made in light of the fact that if people know about Jesus, they know that they have meaning and purpose and are uniquely loved, and it will change their lives and in turn slowly change the world. Your daily life matters to the mission of God. The kingdom of God is not a passive call, but one of action in the name of love and grace and justice. Jesus calls Herod a fox not to call names, but to call out the wrong direction on the path that leads towards salvation. 
Friends, in this world, we live with lots of distractions, and it's easy to get sidetracked, I can admit. I don't know about you, but I can sit down with my planner, my laptop, my iPhone, my iPad, and still forget about my one o'clock meeting. After writing five items on a list, I sometimes realize I've forgotten to write the one item I needed to remember which caused the reason for the list in the first place. We are a distracted people, but we are here in community to help one another with that. If you need help being reminded of what the mission is, what the focus is, have a conversation with Shelby and Ray this afternoon. If you are struggling, join Jason Altieri Thursday morning for men's breakfast. Become a Sunday school teacher for our children. Lead a youth small group. Take the prayer list home this afternoon and with hearts and minds full of joy and sorrow, pray for our people in need. The mission was not just one that Jesus wanted to complete. It was one that had to be completed for the sake of all of creation. And he's made it clear he's headed in that direction. To walk this way, to walk this path means knowing the work, knowing the mission, and knowing and naming the distractions along the way. Jesus has clear focus on the mission that leads him towards Jerusalem, and he has no time for distractions. And today it echoes to us a call and a direction, a call that lives out love and grace in the world and that echoes restoration even in the midst of chaos. We continue on with the passage. Jesus knows the fate he is going to meet once he gets to Jerusalem. He is on his journey towards Jerusalem, not to flee prosecution or death, but headed straight into it. Jesus knows the road that is set before him is not without bumps or struggles. For the second time in the passage, he refers to the work that happens in three days, foreshadowing the hope of resurrection. It's necessary, he says, for me to travel today, tomorrow, and the next day. Jesus knows the journey towards Jerusalem, while difficult and painful, is needed. Which leads me to suspect that part of living and walking like Jesus tells us that we walk the path laid before us not because it's easy, but because it's the one that leads towards the expansion of the kingdom that cannot be shook even by the grasp of death. Jesus knows the fate he will meet in his spiritual town, hometown, and he expresses sorrow for them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killer of the prophets, abuser of the messengers of God, how often have I longed to gather your children, your children like a hen, her brood safe under her wings, but you refused and turned away. As we move forward to this last bit of the passage, I want to take a moment to share a story about my daughter, Jane Bradley. I feel for a little girl being raised in the household with two pastors. She many times gets carried around a church that eventually becomes her playground. She also sometimes gets a short end of either her mom or her dad's time because of the demands of serving out our calling, and I know that many of you parents can relate to that feeling. Many times, though, this causes what Carlisle and I refer to as mommy moods and daddy moods. This past Tuesday night, Carlisle's birthday, appropriately enough, we were certainly in a mommy mood. 
I scooped up Jane Bradley a little after 6.30 to begin bath time to only be met with sobs of, Mama, Mommy, Mama. We continued on our journey as sobs grew louder and stronger. Once in the bath, Carlisle relented and made her way into the bathroom to show her nearly two-year-old that she was still here. Jane Bradley promptly responded with a much more cheerful, Mama, followed by looking at me squarely in the eye and saying and waving, (laughs) bye-bye. I took the hint and made my way to the kitchen to clean up dinner. Now I know she means no real harm by this, but I'd be lying if I said it didn't sting just a little bit. No worries, though, she woke up the next morning only, being, only willing to being picked up by Daddy. Jesus, in this final bit of passage, takes time to speak about a spiritual home, not as a savior or a prophet, which he is, but he shifts his language to addressing them as a loving parent, a mother longing to protect, a parent that longs to gather all of her people close enough like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect. It's important to note here that there is only one biblical occurrence of the word hen, and it is found in this passage and the synoptic or same story found in Matthew. Jesus uses a powerful metaphor for protection, the protection he feels for his spiritual home in Jerusalem and I believe us today. It cannot be a mistake that in this passage, Jesus uses two animal comparisons with such a stark contrast. First, a distraction that only causes destruction and calls us to lose focus on our goal in the form of a fox. Versus a love so tender, so unique, it is used only once throughout Scripture. That's the love that we are journeying towards this Lent season. One so unique, it happened once, and so powerful, it covered all of us. For most of the week, I felt like the call in this passage was our willingness to be a hen, to form a hedge of protection around those we love. And don't get me wrong, I certainly think that is a part of our call, but I was wrong. The call is for us to be willing to be the little ones gathered up, ones willing to be wrapped in the loving arms of a parent and take comfort in the fact that the God of the universe, while capable and big enough of creating everything in an instant, is personal enough to wrap us in comforting arms, calling us beloved. Friends like my daughter, I think we mean no real harm by it, but I believe there are moments in our lives in which God stands with open arms for us and we simply wave bye-bye. God, I know you are here and you are willing to be my loving parent, but I am in much more of a me mood than a you mood. Jesus acknowledged it in Jerusalem, and today I think the call is to acknowledge it in ourselves. We have a tendency as a people to want to think that we can do it all our own, that we need little help, I feel confident that I'm describing myself more than anyone in this room. But God calls for us to rely and have faith. If Jesus desired it for Jerusalem, then now he desires it of us. We are a people called to rely on the God of the universe to keep us on track, 
to resist distraction, to know the mission, to be willing to walk the road ahead and sink into the embrace of a God willing to love us so uniquely. It only happened once. That's the call. That's the walk. Now, you and I both know that it's not always easy on that journey, and that's why we're together in this season. In this Lent season, let us be a people who walk this way, who settle close into the embrace of a God who beckons us to come and fall, follow, who feels the searing pain of loss, but also feels the intense love for each and every one of us and takes immense joy in our embrace. Let it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.